It's the season finale of Fake News Friday. We'll announce the biggest fake news narrative of the year as chosen by you, the True North viewer. Plus, I'll be joined by a special guest who has been criticizing what he calls the media party for years and years now. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. So as you recall last week, we uh, laid out what we thought were the top five fake news narratives of the year. We went through each of them and, you know, follow True North and you follow the Candace Malcolm show, you know these uh, narratives inside and out. Well, I'm excited to announce the winner uh, of the poll. It wasn't even close. Uh, the number one fake news narrative of the year, as chosen by you, was the idea of moving goalposts when it comes to vaccines. They, they kept telling us one thing. They kept saying, all we have to do is get fully vaccinated. We'll go back to normal. All we have to do is, is X, Y, and Z, and it never came true. And so 44% of the vote, that was the biggest fake news narrative chosen by you. Um, num number two, there was a tie for a second. Uh, the first one was that unmarked grave story. Um, and the second was the legacy media's outright defense of Justin Trudeau throughout the federal election. And so thank you so much to everyone who voted on that. And I am pleased to be joined by uh, another person who is a well-known media critic in this country. He's been doing it for a very long time. Um, and of course, I'm talking about Ezra Levant, Commander-in-Chief over at The Rebel News. Uh, Ezra, thanks so much for joining the Candace Malcolm Show. Well, my great pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, so here you have it. I think I think that the idea um, that 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 all we had to do was trust the health experts. All we had to do was trust Justin Trudeau and our life would go back to normal. That was a mistake. And so many people chose to get vaccinated, Ezra, because they thought that it would just let them go back to normal. It would end the lockdown. It would end the rules. It would it would end the, the uh, you know, the, the, just all the restrictions that we've been living with. And I think that we experienced uh, one of the biggest bait and switches um, that we've ever experienced. Um, I'm wondering if you could comment on, on on what just happened in 2021 with regards to vaccines and COVID uh, and, 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 you know, what, what you think that the role that you think that the media played in that? Yeah, I think it's a, a libertarian's nightmare come true. I mean, for, for many years, I was a little bit of skeptical of the purest libertarians out there, the Ron Pauls, who would talk about the welfare warfare state. And, um, but I see all of those warnings. I mean, it's almost like the conspiracy theorist of 2019 uh, was simply a, a couple of years ahead of time. Uh, what uh, I think that um, when we were told two weeks to flatten the curve, that was to get us to accept something that wasn't acceptable. Hey guys, I know it's a violation of your civil rights, but just two weeks and we're through this. Um, I don't know if you remember, Donald Trump sent a hospital ship to New York port and the port of LA to take thousands of COVID patients who were overflowing the hospitals. They were turning convention centers into makeshift hospitals. The army uh, engineers were working on that. None of those were ever used. The hospitals were not overrun. Even in Canada, where we don't have enough hospital beds because we have a government-run healthcare system, they were never overrun. So the, the, the premise by which we were thrown into this whole emergency was proved fake within two weeks. And yet here we are after almost two years, but it's not just Justin Trudeau, it's the entire public health deep state. And I know that that phrase sounds kooky, but really who's been making the rules the last two years? Very few of these policies have been debated on in parliament, let alone voted on. They're not even uh, written by 
cabinet ministers in an executive capacity. These are individual public health officers of every city and province and federally who are just issuing edicts that change regularly, that make no sense in practice, that have no accountability session uh, in, in a parliament. Uh, the judiciary has been compliant to the form to the point of submissiveness. The media has been cheerleaders for this because they, they, the media loves a war, and the war on COVID is also a war on individual freedom, a war on uh, small government. Every institution in society has failed. The courts, the media, the government, and the opposition. Um, pop culture. I mean, you see um, late-night comedy shows basically becoming infomercials for Pfizer. And my last point would be, where's the left? You know, until two years ago, the left's big demon was big pharma. Now they're Pfizer salesmen. And until two years ago, the left talked about my body, my choice. Keep your, you know, laws off my body. Where, what about the choice of being forcibly injected or, hey, it's your choice, yeah? Well, you're going to lose your job, lose your access to public life. I just think every institution out there has failed. Trudeau, obviously goes along with it because he's not a particularly thoughtful person and he really is a globalist and a lot of these ideas emanate from the World Health Organization. But it's been a total failure of the entire system. I compare it to a net, like a fishing net. And if one or two knots on the net fails, well, the net still works because all the other nodes hold. But what if every single knot in the net fails at the same time? That's our democracy during the pandemic, every system, where's the civil liberties associations? Where are they? I, I just think that this is the worst public policy inferno in our lifetimes, for sure, possibly in Canadian history. Well, you, you certainly break down the problem really clearly there. I mean, it feels like a hot mess and it's, it's hard at this point to see a way out of it, Ezra, because you know, like we talked about, it's constantly moving goalposts, even to the point where, where you know, when we look back to the beginning of the uh, pandemic and, and how many beds were used and how, how full our hospital was, it's nothing compared to uh, you know, what happened later on. And yet we overreacted so much. We sort of slowly gave away those liberties to the point now that nobody nobody is there defending them. You know, the Liberals used to be the party of the Charter and, and Justin Trudeau uh, won his, his election in 2015 by saying a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian and we all get these same rights and no matter what. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to the 2021 campaign and he's out there completely scapegoating unvaccinated people, calling those people and demonizing them and blaming them for, for everything in society. We see the Toronto Star, you know, one of the one of the strongest legacy papers in the country. They ran an absolutely horrific, um, really uh, just a psychotic uh, front cover. I don't know if you know the one I'm talking about. It ran during the summer, uh, but it says, I have no empathy left for the willfully unvaccinated. Let them die. I honestly don't care if they die from COVID, not even a little bit. And, and I don't even know who that is a quote from. It's just on the front page of the Toronto Star. You go to the full paper and it, it, the article in the paper and it talks about people online saying nasty things about unvaccinated people. But that's the, that's the cover that they chose to run with. I mean, it's, it's wild, Ezra. So what, what, what do you think we can do you know, as freedom-loving Canadians, as people who want, you know, don't want to live in a, in a health police state, don't want to live under these uh, restrictions anymore? What, 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 what do you think we can do to get our country back? Well, I think on a very small level, I think, you know, it's like Solzhenitsyn and, and other Soviet refuseniks um, and dissidents. In some ways, it's impossible to fight the total system. 
I mean, I, I left out, I think, the worst culprit of the last two years, which is the College of Physicians and Surgeons. I mean, the doctor's motto, do no harm, and, and the idea of medicine practiced for a particular patient, it's not medicine when well, public health is not medicine. It's, it's not treating an individual patient by caring about them and listening to their case. You're treating people like ants in a colony. That's, that's politics with a medical degree. That's very different. And the College of Physicians and Surgeons has chosen sides. And they've gone to war against patients who have a, against doctors who have a patient-centered approach. Any doctor in Canada who gives a medical exemption um, for uh, allergic reasons or just because it, or myocarditis or pericarditis, they are suspended or investigated by the College of Physicians and Surgeons. My point is, for any individual person, it may seem impossible to fight. You might lose your job. Some people are in a position where they can make that sacrifice. But for everyone else, I think the Soviet dissidents' advice would be just try the small step of not participating in the lie. It's, it's maybe impossible for an ordinary person to actually fight the entire world, to fight the entire system. But maybe what you can start by doing is not perpetuating the lie, not telling the lie, not believing the lie. And in my own life, I mean, I, I hate masks. I think they're fairly pointless. If someone's triple vaxxed, why do they need me to wear a mask? I don't wear one. And there's, there's certain occasions where I, I have one in my pocket because I don't want to have a breakdown in my day. Like Uber, I ride Ubers a fair bit. They require you to put on a mask. I never do, and it never comes up. When I go shopping, I just don't wear a mask. And I know that sounds like a, a petty thing, but it's not actually. It's just I'm not going to pretend that this mask is anything other than a political amulet that's a superstition or a flag of my politics. I mean, because it's the doorway to, well, just two vaxes, just three, just four. Now, if someone wants to take a vax, I'm certainly not against that in any way. I, I would never tell someone not to take a vaccine if they choose to do it. Um, but, but at a certain point, when you're on your fourth booster shot, which in, in Canada, in some jurisdictions, they're already on their fourth booster shot in one year. Maybe it's time to reassess if that really is working and if it really makes sense to force people to get vaxxed to keep their job when vaxxed people can get sick. In many jurisdictions, most people who are coming down with the virus are vaxxed. Uh, I was looking at Saskatchewan's details just the other day. They're on their fourth booster in that province, and a majority of the cases are, are double vaxxed people. So I think the rationale falls away. So I, I'm not saying any individual can fight this monster, but just how about don't be a propagandist for it. Just start with that. That's my, that's my advice for an ordinary person. Well, that's great. I've, I've, heard, I've heard someone else say the same thing, that even though this person is fully vaccinated, they refuse to show their vaccine card, that they, they, they refuse to participate in a system where we're saying that you need to show papers in order to get into a restaurant or go into a doctor's office. And, you, you know, they just, even, even though they are vaccinated and they do have the papers, they refuse to show it, just exactly like you're saying, a small act of, of uh, civil uh, dissidents because you know we don't want to live in a society where we are required <laughs> to to show our papers to get into basic um, places and also that you know we have one set of rules for for one class of people and another <clears throat> for another so I, I think that's a, that's like that's good advice it's, it's sort of um, sad that that, that that that's 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 where we've become comparing ourselves to Soviet 
uh, dissidents, Ezra Wolf. I want to I want to talk a little bit more about some of the big uh, media fake news narratives of the year and uh, some of the stories that just the me the media just showed their true colors. And I know you've been a critic of the media party, what you call the media party, uh, for a very very long time. So maybe you could just tell us a little bit about why you call the media the media party. And if you had, uh, you know, one or two of your own examples of, of, of some stories that, that the media just got flat out wrong this year. Sure. I mean, there's a lot of ways to describe the phenomenon that we see in Canadian media. The fact that more than 99% of journalists in Canada take uh, the government bailout from Trudeau, and, and that's not an exaggeration. There are literally 1,500 media companies in Canada, including bizarrely, like the Canadian Auto Association, you know, they have a little magazine. Even they take the media bailout. Like literally everyone is on the dole except for you and us and, and Blacklocks and maybe maybe five others in the country, Western Standard Online, Spencer Fernando, and I'm almost done my entire list. Um, so what do you call that phenomenon? Uh, some people call it the corporate media because I think that's true. Um, the legacy media because they used to have a gravitas and authority. That's, a, that's fairly accurate. But I think that if you look at how it operates, I think it operates like a political party. They have a common set of beliefs. Um, and it, it's really the sameness of it because um, there, there's not a, a broad spectrum of opinion. For example, on, on the core issue we're talking about, lockdowns, vaccines, there's, if you would dare to say, well, I'm skeptical of vaccines, I've had all my vaccines all my life, but I'm a little skeptical of this one that's been rushed into market, especially now that we know that the virus only really affects the very old in a serious way. And there's some side effects that are showing up, especially for young men. Even if you say it in the most moderate, modest way, you're a kook conspiracy theorist, all right. Like it, there's no room for a spectrum of opinion in this. What is that? That's a political party. They, they have a discipline amongst themselves. They will attack anyone within the party who is not on all fours with their policy. They attack outsiders. And of course, during elections, they come to the aid of their favorite candidate, which is typically Justin Trudeau. So they really act like a party, but they don't disclose their partisanship. I mean, I find it very odd that journalists who take money from Justin Trudeau through the media bailout do not disclose that in their reports. I mean, if, if it was the tobacco industry that was giving hundreds of millions of dollars to these news outlets, that would be a disclaimer or that would be called an ad. Trudeau gives the money and they just nod and wink. Let me, you, but you did ask me a specific question. There's one story I, I go and check about once a month to see if it's still online. And it is. And it's a CBC story, a fact check, fighting against disinformation. And, and it's a CBC story saying those kooky conservatives with their conspiracy theory about COVID quarantine jails, they're crazy. And that's still, you can find it pretty quickly on the CBC. I check one, I say, is that still up? Because of course, we did have those. Now you can call them what you want. You can call them a quarantine hotel, but you are law, lawfully required to stay in them. Now, they were around for a few months for anyone. They were brought back for the Omicron virus from people from, from Africa. Um, there are detention centers in Canada that you must go to on pain of prosecution, at, even if you're healthy. In fact, if, you're, if you have the virus, you're not allowed in. Bizarrely, they're only for healthy people. So 
That is a fact. That's not a conspiracy theory. One of our former reporters was required to stay there, and he later was a plaintiff. We sued the government in federal court. Kian Bexie, I'm talking about. He counted. He had contact with 14 different people at this COVID jail, whereas he just wanted to get in his car and go straight home, home and quarantine at home. So there's no sense to it. But the federal court ruled not only was it constitutional, but the three-day detention wasn't even a lawful detention. So there was no charter violation at all. So the media lies about it. The courts uphold it. And of course, there's some hotel chains making a lot of money off it. The entire system's broken. The Canadian Civil Liberties Association hiding under their desk. Um, by the way, uh, just like in the United States, uh, there's a disproportion of new Canadians and minorities who are skeptical for whatever reason about uh, the vaccines. So you have, if I was a lefty, I'd be talking about systemic racism. Um, black people, new Canadians, less likely to be vaxxed. So they're being marginalized and segregated. Uh, I, I find there's a classist issue as well. You see all these fancy events where the politicians or the celebrities don't have masks on, but all the serving staff do. What, what happened to the classists? What happened to the champions of the working men? You see these unions, Unifor, QP, so many unions um, not fighting vaccine mandates being in league with the employer. You know, there's an old saying, uh, if, um, if the union and the company say the same thing, one of them is not needed. So where, where are the champion, where are the labor union champions for the working men? Because if you're in a labor union and your union won't fight the company for you, you've given away all your, your rights in collective bargaining. So I think Another atrocious failure, I talked about the knots on the net being broken, the labor union movement completely co-opted by the government and big corporations. So I think that's part of the fake news there is that these terrible things, they're not really happening. Those COVID jails are just a figment of the fever dreams of the alt-right. And don't worry about that pastor, Arthur Pavlovsky, being arrested like uh, he's a drug kingpin on the roads of Calgary by a SWAT team. D don't, don't even pay attention to that. We're certainly not in a civil liberties bonfire. Everything's fine. What are you, some sort of conspiracy theorist? The whole thing is fake news. Well, you're right, Ezra. There's so many elements there. And uh, you know, we're so grateful for the reporting that you do over at True North because I don't think that Canadians would even be aware of what was happening with uh, pastors being arrested and, and uh, you know, the entire, like you say, bonfire of civil liberties. Um, you know, what, what is the point of, of labor union leaders when they just allow their uh, members to be fired uh, for, for something arbitrary? I mean, that's the point of the labor union is to defend the rights of these workers. And yet they're completely... Uh, letting them down. I just wanted to comment on uh, the point you made about how they're making conspiracy theories uh, of all of us, because I remember back in 2020, um, when some of our reporters at True North were, were, were looking into this idea of a potential um, vaccine mandate. And uh, we had members of the parliamentary press gallery uh, going crazy uh, about us on Twitter, calling us conspiracy theorists and far right. And, you know, just give it six months. And then there it was, right? It's like, it's like anything that you could be a conspiracy theorist about a few years ago, uh, just give it six months and it'll, it'll come true, which is which is, is pretty scary stuff. Well, I, I wanted to talk to you about this one one story because it, it, it sort of made uh, 
you know, it, it made a lot of uh, conservatives sort of raise an eyebrow and, and wonder about the CBC. First of all, the CBC is doing this weird thing now where they publish op-eds, they publish pr perspectives, and, you know, they're all far-left perspectives, as you would imagine. But there was one um, written by a woman, I hadn't heard of her before, her name is Ziha Rehman, and it was about how she was an Elections Canada worker who wrote this, this really deranged piece about how she greeted people all day and interacted with Canadians who, who turned out to be hateful, awful people, right? And so you're waiting for the, for the punchline, you know, what, what is she talking about? Were there a bunch of, um, you know, people in her district, in her riding uh, that voted for a neo-Nazi party or something? Was there an independent neo-Nazi party? No, she, she was just talking about the Conservative Party, not even the People's Party, as well, but the Conservative Party. The fact that the, the CBC decided uh, to run this piece, I mean, what, what, what does this say about, first of all, uh, the, the state broadcaster, but also our election, the integrity of our elections? And these are the kind of people who are running Elections Canada. They're, they're so hateful and they're so deranged that they think that anyone who's white, anyone who's a conservative is just an evil racist person out to get them. Yeah, I mean, um, a good way to, to test if something is unacceptable or racist, I think a good shorthand is just to switch the race around. And how would you feel? if they were talking about a different group. I did read that insane, psychopathic rant. I mean, it, it was shocking. And what was shocking about it is not just that it was someone's weird imagination, like there was not a single incident. It's just that she was looking at these white people, these conservatives or whoever, as if non-white people don't vote for conservative, for example. I mean, uh, Leslyn Lewis, we, uh, it, uh, is she racist too? So. There was no factual basis for her to call people haters. It was her own hatred that she was projecting on them. If you swap it around, if there was a, um, a someone saying, well, these Jews were coming in, and, and I just know what these Jews were thinking, or um, these Black people were coming in, and I just know, like, it, it, it wouldn't work in any other way. It would be so obviously racist. And that the CBC would run this shows that we've lost Martin Luther King's concept of, you know, equality uh, before the law by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. That, I, I don't even think that was a left-wing idea. That was a traditional liberal idea. That was an enlightenment idea. 50 years ago, you had the Martin Luther King style of civil rights, equality before the law, get rid of... Uh, Jim Crow laws, uh, judge us based on, on our individual nature. 50 years later, we have racism again, but it's not racism, uh, as you just described there in that CBC article, it's not racism by white supremacists. It's this critical race theory, anti-white racism, anti-Christian bigotry, that's so shocking. The so-called anti-racists are the biggest racists around. And, and it's not just at the CBC. I want to point fingers at the National Post. And I worked at the National Post on their editorial board for two wonderful years, about 20 years ago. And I, I, I love that newspaper, but boy, has it gone down a funny path. You might recall that uh, just over a year ago, that a majority of their newsroom signed a petition denouncing them for running a column by Rex Murphy it's a wonderful column. It just says, Canada is not an inherently racist country. We really bend over backwards to make people feel welcome. Multiculturalism and open immigration are hallmarks of our country. 
we're not a racist country. That's all he said. And not only did a majority of National Post writers condemn him and demand that he not be able to speak on those subjects again, but the management of National Post actually had a staff town hall, like a struggle session, where one after another denounced the paper for even letting him have a voice there. Um, so it's not just the CBC. And there's a new obsession with race and racism. And the, the trouble is, demand exceeds supply. It's like Jesse Smollett in the US. He had to manufacture a, a racist incident against himself because it just wasn't enough natural racism. And he needed to get some publicity for, for his acting career. And I think in Canada, it's the same thing. I think we, we are probably the most tolerant country in the world. I really can't think of any country that could beat us in terms of racial harmony. And I challenge the CBC or the National Post um, wokeists to find a better place. There's a reason why a third of a million people from around the world come here every year, most of whom are visible minorities, is because we're not racist. And these journalists, these activists, and that absurd CBC election worker who should never be allowed anywhere near a public uh, process again, they, they found, you know, we found the enemy and it is us. They found the racists and it's them. They're the ones obsessed by race. The CBC just had a story on 18 words you shouldn't say anymore, including the word blacklist or first world problems. Like, you're crazy, black hole. The word black hole is racist. Manitoba, I'm kidding about that. That was homeless. <laughs> They're crazy. That's <laughs> mental illness. And I know that's cool in the faculty lounge, but you talk to an ordinary person of any race about that. It's, it's, abs it's like that uh, affectation to call people Latin X. No right. Latinos say that. No. That's only what white liberals say. Those are crazy people. Right. It's like they've gone so far, Ezra, that they have become the butt of the joke and they don't even recognize it. Like I, I got that piece sent to me by about 20 different people, that CBC piece, and everyone was laughing at it. It's like they don't even recognize how absurd they sound to Canadians because the people who wrote that were completely serious. They're like, these are the words that you should purge from your dictionary and that we should expel from the English language. And it's like, who do you think you are? Right. And and I, I just think that they, they, they've really gone too far with this race thing. I think that most Canadians recognize that Canada is a great country. We're not racist. Sure, there's a couple of racist people here and there. Some of them work at the CBC, to your point, but trying to paint the whole country with that brush is, is just patently absurd. It's laughable. And, 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 and I do think it's backfiring on them. Well, I was going to say thank you so much for, for joining us on Fake News Friday. It's a lot of fun to have you on the show, and we'll have to have you back in the new year. And uh, why don't you give us a little bit of an update as to what's happening over Rebel? Because you, you, you're you're sort of one of the leading forces in the in the counter fake news uh, business, trying to uh, inform Canadians of, of what's actually going on, not what the uh, propagandists uh, that are paid by Justin Trudeau uh, want you to believe. So why don't, why don't you give us a little update on what you're up to? Sure. Thank, thanks for asking. Um, Rebel News, uh, because the world is so bad, people want to hear the other side of the story. I, I know that True North has had a banner year. Rebel News now has 50 staff. We have a team in Quebec, both reporting in English and French. We have reporters in the UK again, and of course, in Australia, the amazing Avi Yamini. Here in Canada, we have new reporters in Saskatchewan, Kelly Lamb, great team in Vancouver. We're, 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 we're trying to cover the other side of the story. Our focus, of course, is video-based 
journalism. We try and get out of the office and onto the ground. Um, but really, I think what defined 2021 for us is we spun off our civil liberties work into a charity called the Democracy Fund. As you know, we were defending people by crowdfunding lawyers if they got a lockdown ticket. And so we, we sort of pushed that into its own entity called the Democracy Fund. And I think that, that that's probably our greatest achievement in, in 2021 is that, I mean, I've always felt odd about that moment where someone has a cell phone and there's a terrible thing happening and they take out their cell phone and they record the terrible event, a crime, a tragedy, a crash, a fire, whatever. Because on the one hand, I'm really glad that I saw it and I wouldn't know about it if they didn't film it. But on the other hand, part of me thinks, put down the phone and help. So what should you do? And so with the Democracy Fund and our Fight the Fines project and now our FightVaccinePassports.com project, we're, we're, we split the two functions. So Rebel News, we tell the story, but now the Democracy Fund, its own separate entity, um, can try and do something about it. So we'll still hold the camera, but we're going to try and do something about it. And we've actually got a little network of 25 lawyers. And as you may know, charities have to disclose their financials every year. So the Democracy Fund is coming up on its first year. And um, again, totally separate entity from Rebel News, different board, different directors, different bank, different everything. Um, it, it is now... Uh, at $5 million a year, the largest civil liberties organization in Canada. It's triple the size of the defunct Canadian Civil Liberties Association. It's even larger than our good friends at the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. And again, I'm happy that we built it, but I'm tragically sad that it's so necessary. But I feel that if I look back on the last year, the greatest thing we did wasn't even journalism. It was helping 2,100 people um, fight back against the madness. That's just a drop in the bucket, by the way. We probably could have helped 200,000 people if we had the funds. But that that's sort of what we've done the last year. And I think the next year, unfortunately, will be just as bad. Well, it is incredible what you're doing. And I know you, you're one of the biggest um, critics of, of the sort of defunct, what you say, civil liberties organizations in this country that exist or existed uh, to defend people like the ones that you're defending now. So it's really great to see you step up, step into that role and, 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 and fill a really, really necessary and vital role in our society, which is defending individual people against the massive um, encroachments by, by the government. So congratulations on that, Ezra. It's great to see your success and all the work that you're doing. It's really incredible. So thank you. Thank you so much for being a guest on The Candace Malcolm Show. It's great to have you. And um, happy holidays. I know Hanukkah's over already, but I'll say Merry Christmas to you anyway, Ezra. And uh, I hope you take care. Thanks, my friend. All the best to you. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's Fake News Friday. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show.